from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Over the years at the district attorney's office, I worked really hard to develop an expertise in arson prosecutions. They're very, very difficult to prove. Let me tell you why. First, when you see a fire, you got to figure out, was it a crime? Then you get to the whodunit part. Man, this case cracks wide open in a way that nobody ever believed that it would. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Where's your emergency? Good evening, Dale Drive. There's a fire. The house or what? The house. The caller was a 16-year-old girl who told the 911 operator that she, her parents, and her younger brother had all escaped, but barely. I don't understand. The entire front of our house is just engulfed. Okay. I'm glad everybody got out. That dad was Scott Perk. You'll be hearing a lot about him. Perk said his family had been sound asleep when he heard a loud boom. It was, it was like we heard an explosion. Oh. That's what woke us up. Real cool at the moment. Perk said he'd scrambled to get everyone up and out. By the time the first fire units rolled up, the Perk home was a roaring bonfire. Now, what I'm hearing sounds like right at the get-go, when you hear about an explosion, that could have been uh, a naturally internal fire, not necessarily an arson. When something explodes, you think of possibly did an oven explode, uh, some type of machinery explode and set the house on fire. But where the fire has burned the most intensely, and on the most destruction, that's typically where the fire started. Let me introduce an all-star panel to break it down and put it back together again with me. Judge and trial lawyer, Court TV anchor, Ashley Wilcott at AshleyWilcott.com. Renowned psychiatrist joining me out of the Atlanta jurisdiction, Dr. Angela Arnold at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Private investigator, gumshoe, Richard Trunce at CrispinSpecialInvestigations.com. 
professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet on Amazon, now the star of a new hit series called Poisonous Liaisons on the True Crime Network, Joseph Scott Morgan. But first, to CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter Levi Page. We were just hearing our friend Josh Mankiewicz at Dateline. So we get the 911 call from the teen girl, and the dad takes the phone, explains what happens. Um, But Levi, listen to this from Dateline. Firefighters smell a smell. Listen, Levi. Firefighters smelled gasoline as soon as they got out of their trucks. So a call immediately went out to Stowe Police Detective Ken Mifflin. When I got there, I saw the fire department still putting out the blaze. Someone had taken probably a pipe wrench to disconnect the, 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 the gas line, and it was blowing out uh, natural gas. Uh, just, it sounded like a, it was a very large roaring sound. At that point, that gas hadn't ignited. No, you know, it could have possibly blown up. The person who set the fire poured gasoline all the way to the gas meter and on top of the gas meter. The idea was fire starts at the gasoline, goes to the gas main, and possibly destroys the house and everybody in it. Absolutely. It sounds to me, Levi Page, somebody wanted that whole family dead, but uh, it didn't happen that way because, you know, even uh, brilliant criminals can make mistakes. And here, it sounds like the gas main blue, it had been undone, it had been sabotaged, but it hadn't quite made it to the gasoline that had been poured. Am I understanding it correctly, what they find at the scene, Levi Page? You're absolutely correct, Nancy. It's a home in Stowe, Ohio. This is a suburb of Akron. This house caught on fire. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. And at the time, the four residents, Scott Perk, his wife, Tammy, their 16-year-old daughter, and 12-year-old son all escaped, thank God, uninjured. So, you know, that would, would be the dad, the mom, and two children in the home that were this close to dying in a fiery blaze. Now, let's talk about Stowe. It's not far from Akron, Ohio, and Stowe has a very low crime rate. Isn't that true, Levi Page? Yes, it's a suburb. It's considered a safe suburb. A lot of families live there, and it's outside of Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. Take a listen to Dave Matt at Crime Online. Imagine waking up to this. Scott Perk is awakened to a loud explosion at 3 a.m. His house is on fire. Perk gets his wife of 17 years, Tammy, and their two children, a daughter 16 and a son 12, out of the home, has his daughter call 911. His daughter makes the call, but Scott gets on the line and explains that the family made it out of the home safely. The fire department arrives to find the home fully engulfed in flames and a very strong odor of gasoline. Suspicious, fire officials call detectives from the Stowe, Ohio Police Department to come to the scene. Sergeant Ken Mifflin arrives and is filled in by fire officials that when they arrived, the gas meter was unhooked from the gas line and gasoline appeared to have been poured all around the foundation of the house to the gas meter with gasoline poured on top of the gas meter as well. You know, I want to go to Joseph Scott Morgan, professor of forensics. I mean, I know you love blood spatter like me, but I also love an arson scene. Um, the first arson I ever prosecuted was a woman who single-handedly burned down an apartment complex over a lover's quarrel. Okay. Um, and then sat back with a beer on the hood of the car to watch the whole thing burn. 
another arson case that I prosecuted involved an accelerant, like what we're talking about here in this case, it's gas. In that case, it was toluene. And even after the burn, Joe Scott, it looks like somebody poured Coke, uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi or something on the floor and let it dry. Even after the fire, you can still see sometimes where accelerant was. And this may have gone unnoticed except for the heavy smell of gasoline. And when you are used to investigating arsons, you pick up on so many things. What should the arson investigator do right now? Well, what they're going to be looking for, Nancy, upon, uh, you know, after the fire is put out, okay, the arson investigator arrives afterwards, obviously. And what they're going to be looking for specifically, when you talk about things like accelerants, uh, gasoline, this sort of thing, you're going to be looking for what are referred to in this case as poor patterns, and in some cases, in some cases where you have, uh, say, a cup full of, uh, of gasoline and someone throws it on a wall, that develops what's called a splash pattern. And that is, as you had mentioned earlier, hey, that can is you, the Can you slow down? Working. I mean, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant too much, too <laughs> fast. You said you can see a poor pattern, a poor pattern. which right. is what... I saw in the home I described it was a mansion, by the way. Why do rich people just want more and more and more money? Hey, that's that's for Dr. Bobert, you know, forensic psychiatrist, or Dr. Angela Arnold. She's a, a psychiatrist as well. Hey, Dr. Angie, I want you to go back and get your degree in forensic psychiatry because we need it big time. So, Joe Scott, you said poor pattern, splash pattern. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the goal here, obviously, is to initiate a fire. Uh, with this accelerant. But the fact, and this is fascinating, the fact that uh, the firefighters, uh, you know, were able to smell and oh, sense yeah. this, this accelerant out there gives us an indication of what? Well, it means it hadn't been consumed. It was there. So they kind of bungled this from the beginning. I find it fascinating. You know, this guy said that someone took a wrench and actually loosened the nut on this attachment for uh for the natural gas to kind of leak out and that goes to purpose and when this thing initiates it's blowing out remember he said there was a loud roaring sound and that's what it sounds like and it it's it's terrifying to hear this but it didn't get to the point where all of the gas was consumed I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. 
So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, a family wakes up to a loud explosion in their home and they find out the gas main has been tampered with intentionally to blow up the whole family. Now, who in that home has an enemy that would do that? I want to go out to Richard Trunce, private investigator, former cop, I believe in Fort Lauderdale, now at CrispinSpecialInvestigations.com. Richard, don't you just love it when you've got a perp who obviously is smart and they've thought everything out, but then one little detail goes wrong when the gas main blew the gasoline that he, and I'm saying, yes, I'm saying he, I'm going out on a limb because this is typically, statistically, a male crime. You get a woman, Jackie, it's a little embarrassing to womankind. The most they do is they'll like get their cheating boyfriend or husband's clothes and go burn them in the front yard. Anyway, back to the topic. Trunce, don't you just love it when a, one of their carefully planned schemes screws up? Like here, the timing, the gasoline didn't catch fire and the whole family lived. Well, you got to love it. And thank God, you know, these criminals, they make mistakes. Um, and because they make mistakes, you know, and they talk too much. And next thing you know, you're solving a crime. Now. Well, I don't uh, know that this was really a mistake, Richard. I think this just had to do with, can I say, the perp's bad luck and my good luck and the family's good luck. They didn't go up in flames. I mean, you know, Ashley Wilcott, judge and trial lawyer, court TV anchor. You see it every day in court and at court TV where one little thing in a very carefully crafted crime goes wrong. The gasoline didn't catch fire when it was supposed to. That's right. And that's why criminals are caught nine times out of 10, because something does go wrong. They think they can plan for everything. They think they can make it happen exactly the way they want it to happen. But guess what? That's not what happens. And because of something not going the way they anticipated, then we have better evidence and a way to catch criminals. Now we can figure out, is just this an outright pyro? I don't think so. A pyromaniac that loves starting fires. I think it's something to do with this family, because if things had gone to plan, they would all be dead. But let me go back to Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining me out of the Atlanta area. What's the deal with pyros? What? Because we hear about it like starting a huge fire that consumes thousands and thousands of acres and puts people out of their home. And it all started with them just wanting to start a fire. What is the deal with pyros? It's really kind of disgusting, Nancy, because pyros, it, it's often its often related to a sexual kind of deviance. You know, you know, I don't know what it is with you, Dr. Angie, but you somehow connect everything back to sex. <laughs> I would not think of somebody starting a fire. It has to do with their sex life. Are you sure it's not just you, Dr. Angie, projecting? Sure. No, no. I promise you. It has to do with sex. But how does starting a fire have anything to do with sex? It's that power. Can you imagine burning down a whole, I mean, a whole like field or something? It's just their way to get off. 
Is that a technical medical term mm -hmm. that you just yeah, you threw the, at me? The their way to get it, off. Yeah, it's in the DSM. Get off. Diagnostic something manual. Statistic manual. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, something I knew like that. that stood for something. Okay, so guys, the whole home goes up, and luckily the dad hears the blow, and he gets his wife. I think didn't he say Levi Page of seventeen years and two children out of the home? Nancy, they were all out of the home. They escaped. They all lived. All right, so the hunt is on for a pyro, possibly with a grudge against somebody in that house. But then a twist in the case. Listen to Josh Mankowitz. Amy Salvaggio remembers well the night her duplex apartment in Stowe, Ohio, caught fire. It was March 27, 2010, a rare night off for the 24-year-old intensive care nurse. I was at my boyfriend's. Um, I got a call in the middle of the night uh, from a neighbor saying that the house was on fire. We were only about two minutes away, so drove over very fast. Amy says she jumped out and ran toward the firefighters who were working her half of the duplex, where the worst damage was. The first thing that um, they asked me was, who would want to kill you? Who would want to murder you? And I just kind of looked at them like, what? What are you talking about? And then they asked me, don't you smell all the gasoline? And that's when I stopped and I realized that that's all you could smell was this strong odor of gasoline. Um a seasoned arson investigator will pick up on things that civilians won't, such as a smell of gas. Now, when you go to a gas station, you smell it and you expect to smell it. But notice here, she wasn't even aware the victim, the second family attacked, she wasn't even aware of the heavy smell of gasoline until the cops pointed it out to her and said, who wants to kill you? Did you notice that? What about it, Joe Scott? Uh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, why else Why else in the world would there be an accelerant present at the scene? You know, this goes, I think, you know, to kind of get into your area relative to law is, is intent. Uh, why is it that you would have this, this smell that's out there? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously they had picked up on this. So this goes to this idea that somebody is framing uh, this event to do great harm to this individual. Interesting, guys. Stowe is a city in Summit County, Ohio, population 34837. It's a small town. So how is there a pyro and nobody knows who it is? Dr. Angie, Dr. Angela Arnold, when you're looking for an adult pyro, or it may not be an adult. What would the signs be of someone who's willing to wipe out a whole family in order to, as you say, Angie, your words, not mine, get off? Mm -hmm. You know, Nancy, I would, I would look for some, well, first of all, one of the most important things you'd want to look for is what kind of things are they buying at the store? What kind of things are being delivered to their home? What kind of things are they looking at on the Internet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because these I'm telling you, Nancy, these people are going to look like they're just your typical Joe, particularly in a small town like that. Typically, everybody loves them. They're probably coaching some team for their kids. They, there is nothing that's going to make this person stand out. They are doing a really hard and good job of fitting into the community.
You know, actually, Wilka, I want to follow up on what Dr. Angela Arnold just said. You know, with serial killers, we can almost always trace back that they tortured animals when they were younger. They had a mean streak, to put it in layperson's terms. And you see a callous disregard for life. And you can identify their behavior almost till the time that they were prepubescent. But for arsonists, it's not that easy, Ashley. It really isn't, Nancy. It's a whole different set of red flags, so to speak, that you can look back and say, well, this was a red flag. They were killing animals at age seven. With arsonists, it is a unique um, set of characteristics or qualities that seem to lead into this. And so often I have read studies where there is an arsonist who is finally caught. And when you interview or speak to people that knew them growing up, there were not a lot of red flags to make these people say, oh, I'm not surprised. Very often you find ineffectuality, someone that feels powerless, someone that, let's just say, dropped out of school, dropped out of college, goes from job to job, is angry with their personal life. There are red flags, but as Ashley and Dr. Angie are pointing out, very hard to find with an arsonist. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. What happened to the Perk family? And now, what happened to Amy Salvaggio? As a matter of fact, to Levi Page, um, the gas meter at Amy Salvaggio's duplex was also tampered with. It was disconnected and hanging, and gas was escaping into the air. That's exactly what happened at Scott Perk's home and his family asleep? Yes, Nancy, you're correct. The second fire was a block away from that home. It happened almost a year later on the same day, and the MO was the same. There was gas poured around the foundation, gas poured around the gas lining, gas meter, 
gas line unhooked from the gas meter. And because it happened in the same neighborhood, investigators were connecting the dots and saying this could be linked. We could have an arsonist on our hand. Now you can't ignore the almost fingerprint nature of these two arsons where in both cases people were nearly killed. You've got the gas meter tampered with in both cases. Gas escaping into the air in both cases. A disconnected gas line, gasoline poured around the foundation of the duplex and the home. Both of them are home dwellings. In other words, they're not apartment complexes. They're not commercial complexes. You're not burning up a car. Both times you've got a structure, a residential structure with gas poured around the foundation. They're one block from each other. And it's almost exactly one year later from the perk arson. And it's at the same time in the morning. Would you say, Richard Trunt, that that's a fingerprint crime? That's definitely a fingerprint crime. And what happened is because of the similarities involved here, the actual police lieutenant that handled the first fire and because he handled that he was there for the second fire and he started to connect the dots to you justice scott morgan professor forensics what would the arson investigator do now well let me tell you what they're going to do nancy the the thing about it is remember how we talked about earlier on with that first fire that there was a uh, a smell of gasoline there well, what this individual has done, they have left back, they have left in place a specific chemical signature. What that means is that if they're, this, this person's very used to this, this is, they're returning to the trough, if you will. They're going to try to connect chem at a chemical level, at least, and this is just one of the things they're going to try to connect. Is there a match between the accelerant used at the first case and the second case. And again, that's going to go into this thread that's weaving all of this together. You couple that with the behaviors, for instance. Let me give you another piece here. If that pipe was disconnected with the same tool, for instance, remember we're talking about them being familiar with this and being comfortable, there might very well be little indentions along that nut that match up to the same tool. Maybe use the same thing. And again, we could call in a tool mark expert for something like that. You know, another factor is that these are only one block from each other. It's not like they're 10 miles. They're one block. And I love using the example of Robert Blake. The killer, i.e. Robert Blake, Beretta, um, movie star Robert Blake, his wife, Bonnie Lee Bakley, shot dead behind a restaurant while he and she had been inside eating at the Italian restaurant. Vitelli's, that was the name of it. She goes to the car, he walks her, then he has to come back into the restaurant, and boop, while he's gone, she's shot dead. The point is, the murder weapon is found a, couple, uh, a few yards away from the murder in a dumpster. So the killer is somebody... They couldn't get too far away from the crime scene to dispose of the murder weapon. So that drastically narrows down your pool of suspects, i.e. Robert Blake. So in this case, you have someone committing two arsons within one block. Joe Scott, do you remember the guy in Florida that was shooting people hmm. off bus routes? 
Yeah, and get off the, bu the bus and follow him and shoot him dead. He killed multiple people that way. Yep. We knew it had to be somebody that took that bus or was familiar with the neighborhood because they were all so close together. So what does it tell you? These two arson scenes where they literally blow up the place with people in it um, or try to, what does that tell you about the perp? Well, it goes to comfort, Nancy. Again, this idea that they're familiar with this geographical area. They, there's a high likelihood that if they don't live there, they at least frequent that area on a daily or weekly basis. They know the streets. They know the comings and goings of the individuals. They have an opportunity also to target individuals in that, in that location. Remember, these things revolve about, around individuals that are within your circle many times. Those things that you can see, those things that you interact with all the time. And there is a comfort level. This is completely different, say, for instance, where we have a serial killer that's roaming the entire nation. Those are the exception as opposed to the norm. This serialized event right here goes to familiarity with that location. You're absolutely right. It's not just setting a field on fire like Dr. Angela Arnold was talking about earlier, the, the thrill that some people would get from that. These are targeted individuals in their home. So let's look at the individuals. What's the common factor? Then police start thinking back, thinking back. Listen to our friend at Dateline. On the night of the fire, the detective told Lydell, Scott Perk had casually added a tantalizing detail to his life story. Scott just out of the blue says to me, well, his first wife had committed suicide uh, in 1985, and she was pregnant, nine months pregnant. As if like, you know, not only is my house in embers, but this isn't even the worst thing that happened to me. I, I was shocked. So... As his home is burning and he saved his family, he casually mentions, this isn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. My wife committed suicide when she was nine months pregnant. Now, right there, stop everything. The method and assessment of homicide and suicide is very clear statistically. And I talk about statistics a lot because they can't lie. Statistically, Richard Trunce, PI, former cop, Crispin Special Investigation, statistically, it is almost statistically impossible that a female nine months pregnant in that social strata is going to commit suicide. It it's what just sticks out. I mean, uh, out of the clear blue, this guy mentions he lost his wife to suicide. But the nine months, I think, is what really stuck out to the investigator, really jumped out at him when he mentioned that nine months. That is not common mm -mm. for anybody to commit suicide, especially when you're nine months pregnant. Not at all. Your overwhelming uh, innate desire is to protect the child. So that suddenly comes back to one of the cops, and the cop starts thinking about it. Take a listen to Dave Matt, Crime Online. On the morning of March 18, 1985, Meg Perk, 24 years old and nine months pregnant, woke up not feeling well. According to her husband, Scott, he called the doctor and he got her an appointment, then he took a bath. While he was in the tub, he saw Meg walk by the bathroom down the hallway. About five minutes later, Scott gets out of the tub and calls out for his wife. 
Getting no reply, he walks down the hall and he sees Meg hanging from a banister with a rope tied around her neck. Grabbing a knife from a nearby table, Scott Perk cuts his wife down and calls EMS and begins performing CPR. When EMS crews arrive a few minutes later, Scott Perk meets them at the door. Meg Perk is taken to the hospital where her baby is declared dead. Meg Perk hangs on for another 24 hours, but on March 19, 1985, Meg Perk dies. The assistant Summit County Coroner, Dr. Robert Ruiz, rules her death suicide by hanging. There's so many things about that that are wrong. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we're talking about two arsons, one block apart. But what does that have to do with a pregnant woman that commits suicide at nine months? To Joe Scott Morgan, death investigator, what's the difference between a medical examiner and a coroner? Well, the coroners are, are elected, Nancy, and they're all over the country. They don't have to be forensic pathologist and this guy this Ruiz guy that did this initial assessment and this this examination on this woman hey listen let me ask you something Nancy if you had to have heart surgery would you go to a surgeon that had never been trained in heart surgery well this guy did the autopsy he had never had any training in forensic pathology at all and when you're talking about somebody that has hung themselves these cases are very delicate because you have to be able to have the tools at your command to assess the injuries around the neck. Boy, we heard a lot about that over the past couple of years. And so this is critical in this case, and this is what created the problem in this case to begin with. This guy had no training and should not have been doing this assessment. It's a very delicate procedure when you are talking about or examining injuries to the neck. Think of Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, and the controversy even now that's going on. Did he commit suicide or was he murdered? Because when you hang, you expect a U-shape ligature marking around the neck. And it is theorized and evidence shows Epstein's 
markings were straight across. So what do we find out? How difficult is it to get her body exhumed? Take a listen to our friends at Dateline. In September 2011, the remarkably well-preserved bodies of Meg and her baby son were exhumed. It was amazing uh, to actually meet her. It really was. Thinking that, you know, we are going to do her and her family justice. She was holding that baby in her arms in the casket? Yes. Hard to see? It's very tough. It, it really, it brings everything home. A lot had changed since that day in 1985 when the Summit County coroner had declared Meg's death a suicide. First of all, instead of a coroner, the county now had a board-certified medical examiner. The staff was all new, better trained. Forensic technology was much improved. And... Thanks to an excellent embalming job, the marks on Meg's body were still there. To get a body exhumed is somehow sometimes a very difficult thing. You got to go through a lot of legal hurdles. The next of kin is the one that typically uh, goes along or opposes it, but technically, once a body has been entombed, it then belongs oftentimes to the state. So it could be up to a judge solely as to whether exhumation is appropriate. We're hearing when her body was exhumed, this is Perk's wife that committed suicide at nine months pregnant. They could still see the markings on her throat. What did they discover to Levi Page? What did they learn about the markings on her throat? So, Nancy, the body of Margaret Perk, she it was well-preserved, and it had actually shown the injuries to her throat. And it was consistent with strangulation because investigators looked at her neck, and the bruising was going in a downward direction instead of an upward direction as if she had hanged herself with a rope. It was going in the direction of someone holding her throat down, strangling the life out of her. Explain, Joe Scott Morgan. One of the one of the theories is is that uh, this was more consistent with her as opposed to having a rope, having a belt around her neck, Nancy. And this is something that's commonly seen uh, with uh, with a ligature strangulation, where we're talking about where the 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 noose itself or the the apparatus is pulled downward, and you create uh, a, a mark that is more parallel to the shoulders, whereas with a hanging. We have what's referred to as the tinting, and I mean like an old-fashioned tent, pup tent, tinting feature where it comes to a point above the head. So this is that's absent. So they missed this in the initial autopsy, and the fact that this body was so well embalmed is really the saving grace in here, Nancy. That literally freezes the time. It freezes the time so that you can still see the hemorrhage from all these years back and they were able to appreciate this because now they've got a board-certified forensic pathologist looking at this case. And what, if anything, can you tell me about a bruise that was discovered on Margaret Ann Perk's back at the small, the bottom of her back? It was determined that somebody had their knee on her body and was holding her down as they were strangling her with an object similar to a belt. So how do we... I'm thinking Joe Scott Morgan, she's got the bruising at the bottom of her back. Right. And she's got ligature markings that instead of going 
up like a U that she would have yeah. from hanging is going sideways or even a little bit down, like someone's pulling her back. Now, the only way to prove that is to experiment and reperform the autopsy. To Levi Page, what can you tell me the cops did regarding the banister from which she hung herself? So this banister, uh, all those years later, this happened, the suicide, alleged suicide, happened in 1985. All these years later, in around 2011, they actually tried to see if this banister would hold together if someone hung themselves, and it would not. Indentation marks at the at the very least on that banister, and they ended up finding another banister exactly like that one and doing the test on it, and they learned there would have been at least indentations. And they're thinking back on what Perk said about how he was in the shower, I think, and he saw her walk by. So who breaks into the house and kills his wife in this manner while he is in the shower? Then they start thinking back about the night the Perk home went up in flames. Listen to Dave Mack. Sergeant Ken Mifflin gets Scott Perk to join him in his warm car while they watch crews try to put out the fire. As they talk, Perk tells the sergeant that he recently lost his job, the family's in serious debt, and the insurance company told him to videotape everything in the house in case of fire. Mifflin asks, how recently? Perk says, recent. Mifflin notices the family van parked in the driveway appears loaded down with stuff, and Perk tells him that he was taking a trip to North Carolina with his son to visit relatives. As Mifflin looks at items in the van, he sees old family photos, family cookbooks that have been in the family for generations, not things one would normally take on a vacation. And to you, very quickly, Richard Trunce, I learned that day one in arson investigations, one guy I prosecuted had taken every one of his fancy suits to the cleaners, moved all his shoes, all of his personal family photos of his, not his wife's, and a lot of other things valuable to him. And then, whoops, the fire started. That's one of the first things investigators look for is has a perp removed personal belongings. Well, that just completely jumps out at you. You know, the guy's taking things out of his house that he wants to keep and then gives a story that, oh, I, you know, we, we put everything in the van because we're going on a trip. A trip so with right old away, family he, photos and cookbooks, Richard Trunce. You're right again. Exactly. So, guys, they take another careful listen to the 911 call. Listen to our friends at Dateline. It was a few days after the fire at Scott Perk's house that Stowe's chief arson investigator, Jim Lydell, back from vacation called Detective Ken Mifflin. And uh, he says, you've got to hear this. And he, so he played me the 911 tape. Did you mean Dale died? There's a fire. Mifflin had heard something on that initial 911 call from Scott Perk's daughter, something he wanted Lydell to hear too. During a lull, Scott Perk can be heard calmly whispering to someone. He was talking about a pet ferret, and his tone seemed to be more rueful oversight than anguished alarm. That was a bit of a flag. A flag? Oh, no, you forgot the ferret. You forgot the ferret. Obviously, they were trying to take belongings and pets out of the home. A throwaway comment snares a killer. 
arson suspect makes detectives suspicious when he starts talking about his pregnant wife that commits suicide years and years before. Then a careful listen to that 911 tape blows the case wide open. Levi Page, where is Scott Perk now? So, Nancy, Scott Perk pled guilty to arson, attempted murder, child endangerment. Remember, his kids were young teenagers, 116, 112, and he was sentenced to 28 years in prison for that arson. Not only the arson to his home, Nancy, but that arson that happened a block away. And you know how police knew that he was responsible for that arson? He had moved his family to an apartment complex. And the night of that arson, they went to the apartment complex and examined all the cars in that apartment complex. All of them were, had frost on them because it was so cold, except his vehicle. It had no frost on it, which means that night he had driven somewhere. Amazing police work. So the night when the second fire happens, they go to his place, and his car is the only one in the parking lot without snow and frost on it. In fact, it's still warm. Inside, they find muddy boots and a gas can inside Perk's home. Levi, what about the charge of the murder of Margaret Ann Perk, pregnant with his child? Yes, so he was went to trial on that, Nancy, and he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison for strangling her with a belt. Well, here's one that didn't get away. Nancy Gray's Crime Story signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 